We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. On the adequate minister. So if you would join with me in prayer, then we will read the first six verses of chapter 3. Father, we come before your throne, begging you to teach us. Father, our, open our, our souls, our spirits, our minds, our hearts, that we may hear. And Father, as we look at this text, in the light of this brother, dear, precious apostle, beloved Paul, may we understand that we who are called by your name are ministers. And the task that has been assigned to us, none is adequate. And yet, Father, we look at this and see five characteristics of the adequate servant of God. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. But Father, most of all, would you give us souls that would be molded into the adequacy necessary to be servants of the Most High God. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. 2 Corinthians 3, beginning at verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need so, as some letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are a letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. When I read this, I understand that the context of it is a pastor. This is the Apostle Paul. Uh, he is definitely a pastor, an amazing man, actually. And when I read this, I see five characteristics. And yet I see a man um, who's dealing with a very um, egotistical church. A very prideful church. Uh, and uh, they would feed on the pride. Uh, I see that alive and well in our society today. And yet the Apostle Paul, understanding that false had come in behind him and were trying to discredit him. If we can discredit Paul, then we can discredit his message. Therefore, I can sow in lies. And uh, these false who were in the Corinthian congregation would have a foothold and the apostle paul is trying to defend himself but he can't just jump up and say you know what i was on the road to damascus jesus christ called me to be an apostle to the gentiles and what's the matter with you knuckleheads and you can't hear me because his accusers would charge him with what boasting which would feed into the corinthians which was part of the problem that they were dealing with one of the things that I have watched in my life as a pastor, as a Christian, 
and my dealings with church and church leadership, we have had the privilege in the years that we have served together to instruct pastors. Uh, there's a part of me that there's sees an irony in that. And there's the other part of me that sees the humor of God in that. And I don't understand it. But if you think about it, uh, the pastor's responsibility is extraordinarily crucial in the body of Christ. And yet we, we treat pastors as, quote-unquote, professionals. Now, making your living at the gospel is one thing, and I guess you can say, well, that's a professional. But the truth of the matter is, if I le- read this context, I'm looking at someone in the knowledge of Christ proclaiming the sweet aroma to all people. Now, we're going to look in chapter 4 a little bit later that each of you has a ministry of reconciliation. You literally have the responsibility to some people that I can never reach to be the aroma of Christ in the knowledge of Christ to the reconciling of that soul to its creator. Who's adequate for that? And that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at. Remember now, he's coming out of chapter 2, and he says, who is adequate for these things? Because, see, we have a tendency to boast. And yet his understanding is, who could be adequate for this? Let me show you the heart of a pastor, a true pastor. Okay, I really want you to hear this, because there is a lot of stuff out there that people claim these are pastors. And, and, and there's even a website out there that you can go on and find out what churches are looking for in their pastors. And then you can find pastors' resumes and they will try to match them up. I don't know. It's the goofiest thing I've ever seen. But I, I, want, you to re- I want you to hear this because it starts in verse 5, chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians. Okay, and you can go check it out a little later, but First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know. Okay, we are not eloquent orators. We never came with flattering speech. Nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ, we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Now that there is a picture I didn't come with fancy talk. I didn't come to gather your attaboys. I didn't want to hear, great message, preacher. That's what he's saying. We didn't come doing it for the money. But we proved to be gentle as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. That's kind of gentle if you think about it. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. 
because you have become very dear to us. For you recall, brother, our labor and our hardship, how we working night and day so as not to burden any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God. How devotely and uprightly and blamelessly we have behaved toward you believers. Just as you know, we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Okay, you want to see a heart of a pastor. That's it right there. There is the gentleness of the nursing mother. We all want to. I want my pastor to be gentle. But you also see that he exhorts and encourages. Do you understand that those words do not mean a good job? Okay, exhorting somebody means I come alongside you. I put my arm around your shoulder and I say, you continue down this path. This is a disaster. And you will pay a consequence here that you can't comprehend. Would you like help? Encouraging says, I'm glad to see you want help. That's a pastor. That's a pastor. And there is a fondness to the congregation. Now, that's amazing in that letter because my best calculations was that he didn't spend any more than three months in Thessalonica. But if you read the text, you understand that he was there day and night involved in their lives, not only sharing the word of God, the knowledge of Christ, but also his life. Now, if we go back to our text. Paul, to get around these accusations that he is an apostle of Christ. Okay. And that's the office of apostle. How do I defend that so that my message isn't perverted and yet do it in such a way that I can't give them ammunition to accuse me of being prideful or boastful? It's a dilemma. It's tricky. Apostle Paul does it under the power of the Holy Spirit and he does it there in verse 1 and he does it by asking two questions. I can get around these accusations by two questions. On one hand, it is important to remind the Corinthians he's an apostle. He speaks divine truth here. They must acknowledge this and they must obey this. And I told you last week that I have the advantage that Paul didn't. Paul didn't have the New Testament to say, this is what I mean. I have the New Testament. You know, people can say, well, they disagree with me, but I have yet to have anybody come and say, where in Scripture? On the other hand, this defense offers, offers the opportunity to hurt him again. Claiming that he is arrogant. He's boastful. Look what he says. The first question. Are you, are we, now that's cool because I'll explain that in a second. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Okay, now that's a strange translation. But basically what he's saying is, can it be 
I'm going back to square one with you. Back to the beginning to prove myself to you again. The word we is used instead of I. Okay. We is a reference in a humility third person. Instead of using first person, I. He refers to his apostleship a lot in this letter or in the first letter. And the first letter in chapter 4, in chapter 11, in chapter 14, in chapter 15. And there's a whole bunch of different places that it's implied. And the question is, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. How can I be lying to you? Linsky called it the sword of his authority. Remember chapter 2, verse 17. We are not like many peddling the word of God. Okay, But we are one from God, speaking in the sight of God. See, it's easy to be accused of pride, especially when you live in it. It's easy to accuse someone else of pride when you are living in pride. And let's be realistic. Look at the church. I mean, the first six chapters of the first letter is their pride. I mean, basics. Paul doesn't want to feed that. If you look over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12. We are not commending ourselves to you, but we are giving you an occasion to be proud of us. Chapter 10, verse 18. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. So you see these, I guess for lack of a better definition, disclaimers. That he's not commending himself. He's not trying to. That's not what he's trying to do is say, look at me. He is simply trying to point to truth. You know, I I keep going back and around in this, these two letters, because Paul had his hands full with these people. In chapter four of the first letter, verses four and five, he says this. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Think about what he just said there. That's a pretty serious, you're what? I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motive of men's hearts, and each man's praise will come to him from God. See, Paul's not trying to say, I'm a perfect man. He's just asking a question. He asks the question. That's what he does. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? In these two questions, what he's trying to accomplish is I want you to think about something here. 
I want to force them to think. Okay, you got it? I try to do that on almost every Sunday. I want you to think. See, Paul says, you mean to tell me you don't know enough about me after all of this time? So I have to go back and start all over again? I have to prove to you what kind of man I am? I mean, let's be realistic. People are fickle. And it's amazing how easily um, they can believe lies. You've heard the statement, a lie get halfway around the world before truth gets its shoes on. You know what's amazing to me? How easy people will believe a lie even about someone they know well enough not to really to be deceived about that person. I look at this congregation right here. Some of you I have been with a long time. Okay, um, you know, Al and Sandy Barrett were here at the beginning of my ministry. The first message I ever preached. Um, Karen Salentine was one of those. Of course, my wife. Uh, And then some of you have come in. Uh, over the course of time. Some of you have only known me for a short time. But you know what I can say? I have a track record. And I've had people in the past in this congregation who have accused me some awful stuff out of the clear blue. Just, you know, I think he's doing this or I think he's doing that or he wants to do this or he wants to do that. And I'm sitting there going, excuse me? And that that I understand about people who don't know me very well. I do not understand that about people who have walked with me for years and years and years and years. Those will drive you nuts. See, the false come in and they were telling the Corinthians there was the hidden part of Paul that you just didn't know that well. I remember somebody accusing me one time. Well, you know that he has a character flaw. Well, dude, if I ain't got a character flaw, I don't need to be saved. (laughs) You know, I've never met anybody who doesn't have a character flaw. Paul has this dark side. This sinful side, this this hidden part. I think the Apostle Paul has this secret life of dirty thoughts. Evil secret side that the Corinthians didn't know about. See, they were doing everything they can to attack his credibility. If I attack his credibility, make you doubt his credibility, then you will doubt his message. And all Paul says in his defense is you mean you don't know enough about me to know that this isn't true? I believe in these two questions. I can see the frustration of his heart. I mean, if you think about it, he was there for 18 months. Okay, now you've got to understand something. He he didn't go to church like we go to church. 
He never stopped. He was there in the morning at lunchtime, not at a single place. He moved from house to house. He was involved in the people's lives. And it was going on every day, day in and day out for 18 months. He didn't have a parsonage. He slept in people's homes. He taught them in the morning. He would go to another house and teach at noon. He would go to another house and teach in the afternoon and go to another house and teach in the evening. And he just moved around. And some of the people would move around too. You know, I'm off on Thursday. I'm going to go hang out with Paul and see what's going on. All that time, all of the conversations, all of the teaching, all of the preaching, all of the fellowship, all of the prayers, all of the love, all of the tears... All that doesn't mean anything to you guys? That's his question. You tell me we need to go back to the beginning? Back to the introduction? You mean I have got to go all the way back and start this deal all over again? I need another introduction? I have to reintroduce myself? That's what he's asking him. The question is in the form, in the syntax, that demands a no. The word you see there, commend, means to introduce. Let me introduce your, myself to you. Really? I've lived with you. I have walked with you. I have fellowshiped with you. I have grieved with you. I have rejoiced with you. And now I have to explain myself to you? After all that time? And he's basically saying, in the, 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 the style of the, the question is, you know better than that. I don't care what they're saying. You know me. You know my life. You know my character. You know my godliness. You know what I'm like on the inside out. We don't need to get acquainted again. Start this all over. Now do we? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. What he is affirming here, and he does it in a very gracious and a very humble way, is his virtue. He's saying, my virtue is known. He's already, chapter 1, verse 12 says, I have a clear conscience. My conscience affirms me as godly. You know my life. You know me. We don't have to go back to the beginning, do we? We have to start this thing all over again. I am college, I am common knowledge to you. See, that's that's one of the things that that I can't say that it was something I set out to strive for. It's just something that I am. What you see here is what you see everywhere. There isn't, he's at the pulpit, and now he's out walking around town. What you see is what you get. There isn't no change. Why? This is my life. This is who I am. It hasn't changed. There isn't, well, he's here, and now he's over there. And yet I watch, I know guys right now in pulpits who are that way. What you see isn't necessarily what you're going to get. 
He asks a second question that demands a no also here. Look at what he says. Or do we need, as sums, letters of commendation? Okay, letters of introduction. Because the word you see there, letters of commendations and then beginning to commend ourselves, it's the same root word. It means, let me introduce myself. He says, do we need letters? See, not only were the false teachers trying to convince the Corinthians that Paul had this hidden side. But they also said the Apostle Paul has no proper letters of endorsement. He doesn't have any recommendations. He doesn't have any appropriate documents. Letters of commendation. That was a part of the ancient world. Oh, did you know it was a part of today? Right? When you fill out a resume, you always put a list of references. And you know what? You never go get your enemies to fill out your references. It goes back. You can read letters of reference all the way back to Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 7. You see it in Acts 9, where the Apostle Paul had letters from the high priest to take to Damascus, to the Jewish authorities in Damascus, to do what? To arrest Christians. He had documentations. It has letters to introduce you to new people. I come commended by fill in the blank. And, 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 and listen, I want you to understand something. The Apostle Paul isn't using this text saying, you know what, if somebody's got a letter of recommendation, man, run to the hills. That's not what he's saying. In Romans chapter 16, Paul commends Phoebe, the deacon, to the Romans. He says you can trust her. And you know what? Let's be realistic. Letters introducing, you know, it's like I have the cover letter of my resume. Let me introduce myself. All right. Paul is not against letters. Um, I, I want to make this adamant because I, I've watched people. Okay. <clears throat> Chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Okay. I will give them a letter that says. This person is coming on behalf of the Apostle Paul. Uh, chapter 16 verse 10. Now if Timothy comes. See that he is with you. Without a cause to be afraid. For he is doing the Lord's work as I am also. You know what that is right there? That's a letter of commending him. Make sure Timothy don't have no trou- troubles with you guys. Verse 11, no, let no one despise, despise him, but send him on his way in peace so that he may come to come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. He understood it. And I will get a, an, an answer. See, this is what is behind this is that there are people who run around who want letters. And when the false showed up in Corinth, they had letters of recommendation. Hmm. They were teaching lies. 
But they had some impressive documentation. I know a pastor right now up in Montana um, come out of Dallas Seminary. Uh, guy uh, was asked to be part of the chair of, of the preaching side of Dallas Seminary, the theological seminary. He did that with a, a, a guy that I know, Ramesh Richards. And um, he, you know, they phenomenal. I mean, Dallas is known as a preaching school. And then he decided to take a pastorate up in Montana. Okay. Well, gosh, what a... This guy's rock solid theology, but right now he is telling everybody that God is replacing the fillings of his people's teeth with gold because they are blessed. Really? If God was doing it, he'd be giving you implants. He wouldn't give you gold teeth. And everybody's all jacked up about this guy and how great he is. And I'm sitting there going, excuse me? Why wouldn't he just put it in like the bowl? And then we'll go get implants. But the guy started out right. There was no doctrinal error in this guy. He knew that it was through the exposition of Scripture these things would happen. Gold? These... In Corinth were teaching lies, but they had impressive documentation. I mean, I look at it today. You see it in acknowledgments and forewords in books. I read a book called The Ecumenical Jihad. Okay, and it was written by the foremost theologian of the Catholic Church. And you read half of this book. You would agree with it. Amen, 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 amen. If he had just stopped halfway. Because the second half of it is that we can change our culture by all the religions banding together. We're all going to be happy. Kumbaya and all the rest of it. And we can stop abortion. We can stop this. And we can stop raping and pillaging and evil and all the rest of it. And this is how we're going to do it. And the guy's an idiot. Now then, what's the big deal about that? You know who one of the endorsers were? Who endorsed the book? J.I. Packard. And I kept thinking, did he read this? Or did he do like I did, read the first half and think, this guy's on to it. And then you read the second half and said, this guy just lost it. But he was endorsed by it. I see it today. I get people who want to come and speak at the church and they have a whole list of endorsements of people. Here, you this person and this person and this person and this person. Impressive credentials. And you know what? If you're really honest with Scripture, you will find out that the Apostle Paul just didn't have any impressive credentials. I mean, he was a Pharisee. That's not really impressive. I mean, the Jews hated him. Because he walked away from Judaism. The Christians were like, dude, (laughs) you had my Uncle Bob or Simeon. There we go. I doubt if there's a lot of Bobs. But you had Simeon arrested and stoned. I was there when you had Stephen stoned and you were heartily in favor of it. Um, Yeah, I think you ought to go to Antioch. (laughs) Okay. See ya. See, when the false arrived in Corinth... They pull out their letters. 
Okay, now look, I, I want to show you some. Or do we need as some? Go back to his original questions. I spent 18 months day in and day out with you. And you're telling me I need a letter as some? See, some would come rolling into town with, look at who's endorsed me. They get interest into churches because of their documentation, because they have a a degree, because of a college that they went to, or they did this, they did that. These guys, I believe, were from Jerusalem. Okay? I believe they had some association. Now, hang in there. I'll prove it. (laughs) Terry's, wow, great. It wasn't like there was a lot of churches around. And so, I mean, you can, anyway. I believe that they had some association with the Jerusalem church. Okay? Um, Here's why I believe that. If you go to Acts chapter 15, this is in the uh, Jerusalem council on, you know, circumcision and mosaic law and all the rest of it. Verse 5 In this Jerusalem council. Now this is the church people. Look what it says in verse 5. But some of the. Sect of the Pharisees. Who had believed. Stood up saying. It is necessary to circumcise them. And to direct them. To observe the law of Moses. And it says that the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. Did you understand that? Did you read that? Who was in the church? Pharisees. Who believed, but they were still doing what? Holding to the law, the traditions of men. And they believed... Yes, you are saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. But you must hold to the law. Are you telling me for a person to be saved today, they have to be circumcised? I believe that these in the church in Corinth were of that. Remember the group that said, I am of Cephas. Peter, where was Peter pastoring at, eldering at Jerusalem and get a letter from Peter that he. That's impressive. I have documentations of references from the first church. They want to make Jews out of everybody. Keep the law. You're going to evangelize a Gentile. You see it today. Mixing Judaism with true gospel truth. Tell me you don't see it. How do you get this this term messianic Jew? What the heck is that? Well, I am a Jew who believes in Messiah. Well, the Apostle Paul says that you're a saint. Paul said you have Jew, Gentile, and believers. 
So they literally, when you hear someone say, I'm a Messianic Jew, they're coming back and putting up a wall again, trying to make you think, look how spiritual I am. Is that pride? You know what? These guys come cruising into the Corinthian church. They've got all this document from the very first church. This is impressive. I'm of Peter. I gain entrance. Look, I have letters. And you know what? I know where the Corinthians were spiritually. They were prideful. Look, we've got people teaching us who come from the church of Jerusalem. They have letters of recommendation from Peter, John, Matthew. They even have it from the first pastor, James. You know, that's Jesus' brother. That's impressive credentials. Look at my letter. My letter's bigger than your letter. Look what he says. Letters of commendation to you. And then he, what does he do? Or from you. From you. See, this is to those teachers who are out, what I call, applying their trade. They don't stay long. Okay, because their lives are corrupt. They're not genuine. They, to use a, a reformation term, they are unregenerate. They hold to a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They can't stay long. Their character of their lives would come to light. But they come in long enough that they confuse the church. They will tear at the church. They will cause divisions and schisms. Remember when we looked at that in 1 Corinthians? And they'll make a buck. And then they'll move on. Oh, yeah. And then the phrase from you, they get some more letters. This man here, he's a powerful speaker. But what's his life like? But he's a powerful speaker. But what's his life like? Well, he was only here three weeks. What was his life like? They just keep moving. See, when I, when I see this, I, I think of people who are doing this as a vocation. It's not a calling. It's a way to... Make money. You know, and I get people who call. Hey, I like to come speak at your church. Word of the Lord has moved upon me and I should come there. But what I need you to do is take care of my housing, my transportation. I would like a hundred dollars stipend each time I preach, and of course a love offering. I get that. That is amazing. Can I shine your shoes? Their personal lives can't be verified. So they stay a little while. They get a letter of recommendation. And they move on. 
Paul is saying in this question, am I of that group? Do, do I need a letter from you to recommend me to... At this, this time, he's in Ephesus. Do I need a letter from you to recommend me to start a church in Ephesus? Do you not know enough about me that I have to start all over again? Do I need to reintroduce myself? Do I need to show you a bunch of letters of people who like me? Do, you know what's amazing about those letters? Those letters are always secondhand testimony. You don't have enough firsthand testimony, Paul says. That's silly. His life, his virtue, his character, his godliness, his holiness, his sincere life was sufficient to commend him to them. They seen it. They lived with it. Nearly two years of ministry in your midst, day in and day out, was worthless. Didn't tell you anything about me. Really? Let me tell you something. If there's a deceiver in the flock, you will see it and it will be seen before two years is up. They can't maintain it. They can't hide it. Their true nature will come forth. Do I have to go back to the beginning, Paul says? How foolish can you be? How deceived, doubting that they knew what was true. They'd already been with him. They already spent time with him. They'd seen what he was like. Well, I just think that he has evil thoughts on a regular basis. Really? No. When you look for a man to be your pastor, a man... To carry the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of the knowledge of Christ, and spread it in every place from life to life and death to death. When you look for one who stands to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the instrument of God to manifest the knowledge of Christ in every place. Look for one who doesn't need letters of recommendation. One who doesn't need someone else to sell him. Find one whose integrity, whose spirituality is first-hand common knowledge. That's the kind of man who is competent minister. That is the kind of man who is an adequate minister. His godliness is established. You don't have to go look for proof. If you've got to go look for proof of a man's godliness, you've got the wrong man. He doesn't need to depend on a letter of recommendation. Everyone knows the character of his life. It is evident. It is seen. It is witnessed. And it is firsthand testimonies. It is widely known. Uh, Linsky said, whose godliness is a byword synonymous with his name. It drives me crazy when I watch what goes on in the pulpits today. 
People go get resumes from people. They come in, they call it, what do they call it? A view of a call or something like that. And he comes in and he's got a handful of sermons that he's really good at. He preaches them forth and everybody goes, that's the man I want. That man is going to be the aroma of Christ to the knowledge of Christ everywhere he goes. And you can tell that by reading a resume with a bunch of references and one sermon. Really? Really? Does the person have a reputation for holiness? It would be an interesting question to ask at a pulpit review, something, wouldn't it? Do you have a reputation for holiness? <laughs> what? Does he look set apart? Does he look different than the world? Does his passions and desires speak forth when the day-to-day conversations? Paul to Timothy, young Timothy, getting ready to take on the mantle. He's cleaning up a horrific mess in Ephesus. And he says, when you find an elder, quote, his life should be blameless and above reproach. He should be known for his godliness. That is the man who is adequate to minister. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my brother Paul and the amazing things you continue to show me about his life. Father, and I think about the attacks on the body of Christ these days. And Father, how? It's the same. It's still the same. And yet, Father, you have given us what we need for life and for godliness. Father, help us. Help us to have ears to hear. Father, help us to have souls rejoicing in the joy of our salvation and the preeminence of your return. And may we, called by your name, rejoice of just being in your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.